0: Welcome back to Writing the Rapids. I'm your host, Joe Balecki. This is the show where writers tell me to talk to writers. The show is part conversation podcast, part audio literary magazine. And this month on the show, we have A.S. Coomer. You can find everything you need to know about him on his Twitter at A.S. Coomer and on his website, ascoomer.com. Specifically, check out Shining the Light. It's one of the best books I've read in quite a while. If you want to support this show, help me buy things like books and pay writers for their time perhaps in the future, maybe even have more frequent episodes, things like that, all your good patreon type things. It's patreon.com WTR. If you don't want to do that, it's all right. Now let's get into the meat of the show. I think the first thing I want to bring up or start with is I read Shining the Light, uh recently and really 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 liked it um and the thing that i found interesting about it is that it reminded me of sort of like older pieces of literature where it's um sort of removed from the protagonist where like a lot of hp lovecraft uh the beginning will be hey i found this manuscript somewhere or the beginning of Lolita is I'm this guy's lawyer. Um, it sort of reminded me of that. Where did you get the idea for the format of that book?
1: Well, um, I knew I really wanted to write about a musician. Um, I play music, so it's something I'm kind of used to. And I was having a, I was going through a real big Jason Molina kind of phase at the time. It was more of an obsession than a phase, I guess. Um, and I was reading a whole lot of these these music biographies from everybody, from like Hank Williams to Robert Johnson, and it always seems like for that level of like authenticity to make it feel like it was a real music biography, like that's the only format I could really squeeze it into to make it feel real.
0: Sure, I recently read the uh, the Dean Swinford books that are out on, on Audible too, so it's it's interesting the the two sort of. Grand musical book projects out on that press and them being done in in different ways. So, yeah, talk about that book a little bit for for someone who hasn't read it.
1: Sure. Um, Shine the Light is a it's a novel, but it's written like it's a biography on this musician who never existed. His name's uh, Homer and Tumbra, and he's kind of an amalgamation of a bunch of people, you know, all into one, and you, i kind of just wanted to chase the whole mythos of the indie junkie myth and see where it went. Um, and this is the book that came out of it. So I had a lot of fun writing it. I got to write um, songs for the for the book, you know, uh, lyrics, all kinds of stuff. It was just a lot of fun to write it.
0: I like that idea of the the mythical artist, be it musician or otherwise um yeah. because you get to play around with the sort of flowery prose of like a music reviewer right but also force someone to imagine uh someone that doesn't exist and music that doesn't exist yeah um i i actually had a uh a dream after the first night of reading it took me a couple sittings to finish the book but after the first i had gotten through like the chapter the first or second chapter like i had a dream about about homer up until like that point in the novel it was pretty interesting and then the other the other book of yours that i've read is the fetishists and that is drastically different
1: (laughs) yeah uh i'm kind of like that dog you know throw the ball or jingle the keys and i'll chase it I don't really have a set genre or anything I write about. It's kind of what feels right to write about. But yeah, the fetishes is a complete departure from shining the light.
0: Yeah, and that that was was that written first or published first?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, the fetishes was first. Okay. But I think if I can remember correctly, my memory these days is seems to be failing me. But I'm pretty sure I wrote shining the light right after I wrote the fetishes. Like I wrote the fetishes over the course of like. I think it took me like 28 days or something to, to get the first draft done. And then I put it off like, like I usually do with novels. I put it off for a couple months editing and went straight into writing shining the light. So it was Mm -hmm. kind of weird. These two books stack up the way they did.
0: Yeah. That's how I try to do it as well. Where'd you get your start writing? Like what's your sort of history with this medium?
1: Yeah. I've been writing since I was real little. Um, like around about fourth grade or so um my family moved from a neighborhood kind of suburb type thing out to the middle of the country where like the nearest neighbor is like half a mile kind of deal um and i was i've always been a big reader so at the time i kind of just you know went went inside myself kind of deal read a lot wrote a lot and that was kind of what you do when when you don't have any friends you know
0: sure um do you go to school for writing at all
1: no, my degree is in social work. I did um, child abuse and neglect investigations for several years. Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah. Okay. No, I don't have a degree in writing. I studied um, creative writing a little bit, but like I didn't have my – not even a minor in it.
0: Mm-hmm. Does the, the social work um, influence you at all?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, doing, doing that kind of work, you get to see – all aspects of humanity huh? from the bad to the good so yeah i mean it it's affected my world view which comes out in the writing a lot
0: what else you have uh some poetry coming out soon right
1: yeah um i actually just came out a couple weeks ago um it's my first full-length collection i've had poems published in a lot of different places but never i've never even had a chat book you know so this is, this is really nice for me it's called flirting with disaster and other poems uh the good dudes over at Alien Buddha Press put it out for me.
0: I haven't heard of Alien Buddha Press. What are the, what's their sort of pedigree?
1: They they usually do um like indie outlaw poetry type thing usually. Okay. Um they and they also have um some anthologies and stuff. And I think they put out a couple novels, but there, it seems the forte is poetry. Okay. From indie writers usually.
0: How's your um because I can't, like, write poetry at all. I've, I've tried. How do you um, sort of uh, switch between the two different forms of writing?
1: Well, like, with with fiction, um, I set aside time. Like, I'm a morning writer. I wake up every day at 7, and whatever long project I'm working on, I, I can't leave my house or do anything until I get my 2,000 words in it. Okay. Um, but with, like, poetry, it's just kind of like, you know, when, when like, a little play on words or an idea comes to mind that's when i write it i don't i usually don't set aside time to write poetry it's usually an inspiration kind of deal
0: okay so with fiction you sort of have the the stephen king method of grind it out grind it out grind it out
1: yeah i mean you know if you want to if you want to write a lot and write for a living kind of deal you got to be your own worst boss you know no one else is going to push you to write whatever you're writing no one else cares until you make them care you
0: know Mm Mm-hmm. that's very very true are you um writing full-time now or is that just an aspiration you are
1: yeah Uh, Yeah, i'm doing that in music so okay i'm a broke artist at this point
0: (laughs) (laughs) what's your you have the the sort of record label for poets thing i've seen referenced on your website
1: yeah um lost long gone forgotten records is a real fun project for me i um I record one poet uh, reading usually two of their poems and release it like it's an old school 45. There's an A side and a B side. Um, I record the poets uh, without any inspiration at first, and then I go in after the fact and add either you know found sound or you know weird synthesizers or ambient guitar or whatever I feel like the the, the piece needs. And then I release usually one single every month. Um, but you know life comes into play, sometimes it'll be a month or two between releases, but try to stay on top of it
0: oh the release schedule of this podcast is evidence of that for sure (laughs) Uh, where'd you get the idea for that
1: um when i moved to uh, i live in kentucky now but for the last four years i lived in toledo ohio and when i moved to toledo um my first year there i felt like the city was kind of crass and unwelcoming and kind of out of the box at first you know i thought it was like applebee's on every corner and walmart (laughs) but the the longer i lived there i met so many good poets and writers in toledo and i had no idea such an underground community of artists was there and the more uh i got involved with the poetry scene in toledo the more i realized like no one knows who these people are and that that's a damn shame because there's so many good poets that, that come out of toledo um so that was kind of my way of wanting to help spread the word and make some new art at the same time
0: sure do you have you ever heard the um the recordings um Steve and Jesse Bernstein did with Sub Pop. No, I've not. Um, it's sort of the same thing. It's this um he he was this poet who had sort of like post Burroughs inspiration. And um he recorded an album called Prison and he wanted it to be sort of like the Johnny Cash album, but it didn't work out that way. And so he's reading his poetry and then he has music behind it um there's a very long very brutal poem on that called face where he talks about there's always been something wrong with my face and uh so i was i'm always i'm always curious to see um where people connect to other things that i know about and uh oftentimes they don't like (laughs) it's a lot of a lot of parallel thought it seems which is fascinating to me
1: yeah, I'll have to check that out. I've never even heard of that before.
0: Yeah, he's he's definitely sort of like a post beat sort of guy. Uh and really that's that's where my my poetry interests. I I like the uh, uh sort of New York everyone's on heroin sort of poetry, or yeah. the like gritty rural realism. Um B. H. Fairchild is a guy who I read a couple years ago. That's just like cornfields and dust and yeah. barns that are that are breaking down and, and things like that. What so it's it's January. What do you want to see from the writing world in in twenty
1: nineteen? Oh man. It's a solid question. I've been <laughs> <laughs> I've been uh kind of more focused on what I've been doing than what others are doing and my reading takes me everywhere. I'm usually you know, all over the place, I don't have a set type of literature I read and I usually I'm usually a couple couple years removed from what's out now anyway, unless it's fellow friends that I know of having books out. I try to stay up with those, but I mean, in the current political climate, I would love to see some more um some subversive literature, you know,
0: yeah, you know I've been thinking about that a lot too I was Reading an interview with another writer who was talking about like the the path of writing he was currently on, he feels like he needs to change it completely because of our president and everything like that. And yeah, I, I've been spending a lot of time sort of l- looking at the bizarro world from afar and noticing there's a lot of sort of like really blatant sort of things mm-hmm. and. Along with that, I recently rewatched District Nine, which is basically an apartheid allegory. Um,
1: That's the alien movie, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, it's the one in South Africa, and the guy turns into an alien. And the nature of subversive writing, I'm like questioning. You know, I like I want something to really tackle what it is that we're dealing with as as a country as a community of people, um, but also be able to stand the test of time and and right. not seem preachy or hokey and like I guess that's just a tall order. It's like really hard yeah to do.
1: You know, I tried to like the fetishist is my first attempt at sort of dealing with this this toxic culture of uh selfishness. You know, like that was kind of the whole premise of the book was to take some very privileged uh, and selfish person and to, to reverse their situation in kind of like the most bizarre way I could, you know, And uh, I'm getting ready to start a new novel. It's going to be kind of, kind of like that as well as dealing with this, this sense of entitlement and, and this lack of concern and empathy for other humans, you know, getting what's yours, what's your owed kind of attitude.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I I caught that in in the fetishist as well. I also just I like how you have the backdrop of the creepy sex cult, which is something that I can't uh, n- I can't uh, deny whenever I see it. I really enjoyed uh, uh, Carrie's ritualistic human sacrifice for the same sort of reason. Uh, me too.
1: I've, I think that's why it was a perfect fit. The fetishist on Grindhouse.
0: Oh God, yeah. Those those books could be sold as a as like a pack as a unit, and yeah. I, I think it would really work that way that's interesting that, that you talk about how you are focused more on your your stuff than than sort of like what else is going on in the writing community and i'm not like i'm definitely not published enough or active enough on social media that i feel like i'm part of any sort of writing community um but i see people talking about the writing community with sort of like a capital twc Mm -hmm. And like, I kind of look for it and where I find it is not where I expect to find it. And what I find there is not necessarily something that I want to be a part of. Do you, do you find that for you, it's more of like a, just a laser focus sort of thing? um, Or a, um, you don't really, you haven't really found a club that you really want to be a part of.
1: I mean, I, I think I have my my little say in the writing community at whole for doing stuff like, um, like I'm, I'm a fiction, I'm one of the fiction editors for red Fez, So, you know, I read submissions of what, what people want to, to publish. And I think I have a little say in that kind of thing, you know, as some sort of gatekeeper and what, what you know, having a say of what's published and what's not, uh, who should be published and who is not kind of deal is always an interesting question, uh, now, I always go on the merit of, you know, what's, what's just a good story? You know, I don't really look at anybody's cre- or credentials when they send something in. But the whole writing community thing, it, I feel like it's a, you know, it's, it's like a group of anything else. I was never really into clicks and, and, you know, that sort of thing. I've always been kind of a loner, so... I usually try to focus on what I'm doing as opposed to what other people are doing. Because, I mean, if you're watching other people and still trying to make art, it's going to be somewhat imitative or it's going to be standoffish. It's just not going to usually be a complete work in itself if you're always watching over your shoulder and what
0: other people are doing. I'm on the Red Fez website now. I must have overlooked that when I was researching you. One of the things you're, you're talking about, your, your reading kind of takes you everywhere. I was looking at your Goodreads oh, yeah. um, with my wife because she and i read uh very very different things and i was like oh man he for for writing the fetishists he reads a lot more books kind of like what you read uh you you gave a pretty high review to um um oh i'll be gone in the night is what it's called about the golden state killer
1: yeah you know for an un like she didn't finish it, but I um, mean, she died over the, when when she was still writing it. Yeah, you know, for an unfinished book picked up by um, you know, an associate and an editor to finish, I thought it was really well done, and like she has such a humanizing way of dealing with crime fiction. Usually, with with crime fiction, it's all about the the killer and that kind of thing, and she kind of like helps to bring a face to like victims, and it, it, was, just, it was a good read.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what she was saying too. Is the way that it, that she explores it is definitely um, not super glorifying or anything like a lot of like she was in she was into true ca- crime for like a really long time and like really heavy into it like that's what she would watch that's what she would read those were the podcasts that she was listening to and like really burnt out on it after about a year like crashed hard Yeah. on it and I it's easy to do yeah, I, I feel like I'm waiting for the rest of the world to catch up with her, because <laughs> true crime... It's kind of a
1: weird thing, isn't it? You know, like, all the Netflix specials now are about, you know, true crime. Did did the murderer do it? Who didn't?
0: And yeah. It's, it's kind of funny. I wonder if it's a symptom also of our hunger for, like, real investigative journalism. Yeah, it might be. Where it's... I guess that's the perfect topic because it's something that's controversial that not a lot of people agree on, but the information is out there and you're far enough removed from it that, you know, with the exception of like serial or making a murderer, there's, you know, not necessarily people's lives hanging in the balance anymore. And you can really see sort of the process of gathering and synthesizing information in a way that, both tells the story and teaches you something, which is something that the current news format just doesn't give us time for.
1: That and the whole looking into the psyche of, of of a human that's so far removed from empathy is always an interesting thing, too. I think that you know to be able to kill somebody is not something normal people can fathom. I think for the most part, and so to like you know to kind of dive into that whole different mindset is always kind of captivating
0: Mm mm-hmm yeah i i remember reading a a blog post by a a buddhist master monk guy after uh one of the school shootings it was a couple years ago it might have been um the one that alex jones always says is a false flag or is like famous. that that's the one sandy hook and he was he was talking about the sort of like non-duality that humans have and in, in zen buddhism and, and that like you definitely could be on either side of this tragedy like you have the capability of being on either side of that tragedy yeah and i don't know if that's necessarily what people are trying to get at with true crime but it's another interesting thing to consider for sure i think i'm i'm at this point now personally so this is maybe a selfish uh question, but I'm at, I'm at this point personally where I'm kind of done for a while submitting short stuff around and I I, yeah. I have several novels that are just about ready to go out, but this idea of like submitting long stuff and you said that you, you wrote um what was it, The Fetishist in 28 days. Yeah. So I mean that's that's less than a nano do you do you find that there's a different sort of weight or or anxiety to submitting book length works rather than like individual stories or individual poems
1: yeah short fiction stuff um yeah i've kind of like stopped submitting a lot of stuff too and i don't write short fiction as much anymore i i just don't get the same joy out of, out of making a short story as i do with something long i think there's there's something going back to the whole Buddhist thing. There's something Zen like about like the patience involved with making something over, you know, 40,000, 50,000 words. Like, you, you know, you get to play with a lot more things, um, themes, you get to enter, you know, intertwine and in stuff, uh, images. I kind of like to think of like a novel, almost like a song. Like, you know, you have like these different courses, you try to sneak in at different parts of the thing, uh, but submitting the whole submitting process sucks, man. <laughs> like, I hate it. I wish um I'm, I'm at the point now to where I would I wish I had a an agent or a long term relationship with a single publisher so I could devote more time to just making the stuff as opposed to trying to sell it. I've never been a salesman. I'm not good at usually at talking about stuff that I do. I'm I'm much better at writing, you know, mm-hmm. sitting down, hammering it out. I can have a more clear focus uh but the submission process is a nightmare.
0: Okay. Well, that's nice to hear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like, the, this definitely isn't a show about, like, the tips and tricks of how to do it, but I, right. do, I do like the commiseration of people just saying, yes, it's bad. It's it's yeah, not, I mean, it's not just... a fun part of the work. And it seems like,
1: a, I hate to say it, but most of it's a big club thing, too. It's all about, you know, who you know. And sure. A lot, a lot of places won't even read your stuff. Uh, Unless you have an agent or, uh, you know, a a fellow writer that's been published by them that will recommend you to them kind of deal. Which is unfortunate for literature as a whole. I mean, so many good writers have never been published before, but they may be sitting on one of the best novels, you know, everyone should read. But it'll never be read until they network or whatever Mm -hmm. the fancy term would be.
0: I mean, that's also a, a bad way to build a friendship is to go you know dm somebody on twitter that you have like a very passing relationship with and be like hey will you please read my book so you can tell your publisher friend about it maybe if they yeah. ask you about my writing yeah it's a it's a bummer and that's probably how you get all the drama in in these sort of art artistic communities is that it's a very like using culture of
1: yeah all these relationships about what can i get from you as opposed to you know yeah. What does this relationship actually mean?
0: Mm-hmm. Do you feel like music's like that too? Yeah, okay. definitely
1: yeah it's unfortunate. That's the way it is with a when when you when you make art a business. Like I know everybody's got to eat and all that, but you know, sometimes it should just just be about whatever the art is. And it seems like so so often it's not. It's always about the other bullshit around the art, you know
0: mm-hmm. and then there's the whole thing about agents where um i remember it was the tyrant books guy it must have been a while ago now and i think i've brought it up on the podcast before but was like i'm not going to publish anybody who has an agent like i don't don't like agents i don't trust agents right um so it's like a whole another cog in this machine that's already weird
1: i mean they're kind of they're kind of middlemen, you know, if you mm-hmm. think about it. Like they they just have connections, so unfortunately you gotta go through them. Um, and you know I'm not I've never worked with an agent, uh, so I mean I can't really say what the experience would be like. And I'm sure they have their pros and cons, but you know it is kind of a weird thing that you have to go through this middle person to have the the publisher see your work.
0: Yeah, it's it's weird. Uh, it reminds me of the idea of, like, accrediting universities. And I've I've been thinking about that a lot, being out of college for a few years, really wanting to continue my education somehow, but not trusting, like, anything anymore. And so I, like, find lectures on YouTube, and I watch them, and I think, okay, yep. but, like, who is this person? Yes, it looks like they're lecturing from a classroom, but, like, who is this, and, and who is telling me that they're okay and who are those people and everything and it it gets uh dizzying and and tiring yeah but i guess that's part of it i'm thank god for patreon i mean you can always just at some point you know drop out of the whole system and just let the fans come to you but at some point you need to get the fans to come to you somehow
1: yeah the gatekeepers of you know is known and who is not all that
0: yeah i mean even like just trusting like a youtube algorithm or something is tricky these days anyway because i mean you could do that you could you could self-publish your book and then you could have a video of you reading it or something and have some sort of i don't know like a cat in the video that you're petting so people are there for to like watch you pet a cat while you're reading you know while you have the audiobook going or something well there's like um that whole
1: phenomenon of instagram poets you know
0: oh god yeah that
1: that, that sort of thing um which i mean i'm all for art making it even if i don't particularly care for what you're doing but Mm -hmm. it seems like a lot of the whole uh instagram poetry communities man it's just not something i can really get behind
0: no i don't i don't like it either um and and i don't see i don't seek it out um for some reason a copy of milk and honey ended up in in our household and i read it and like as i was reading i was like oh yeah these are like sad things and i can understand the emotion here and like immediately after reading it the only thing i have to think about it is like not the poems themselves or how they made me feel you know things that poetry's supposed to do generally mm-hmm. and it was more just like huh when i go to barnes and noble i see a lot of poetry books in the poetry section that l- have cover art like this and uh are written by somebody who has like a cryptic lowercase author name yeah and the rest of the poetry section is just collections of ee e. cummings and and stuff like that like i don't i can't find poetry that i would want to read in a bookstore
1: yeah the the poetry community that I pay attention most are, are these outlaw poets, as they say, or indie small people. I don't think you're going to find a copy of, you know, Michael Grover or Bob Phillips in Barnes & Noble,
0: mm-hmm. you know? and I, I wonder why that is. Like, why does that have to be like that? Um, I, I don't know what the gatekeeping to, like, have your book sold in Barnes & Noble even is. But I wonder if I'm it's sure. just a like uh the infrastructure just isn't there for a smaller press like that
1: yeah i'm sure it's it's a you know new york distribution thing Mm -hmm. you know you're not a part of the big five or whatever you're
0: not gonna get read i mean that's the other thing we were talking earlier about you know reading everywhere and being a couple years behind i have this like darn near crippling anxiety about not being well read enough all the time especially since starting the show
1: I think that's a writer thing you know Uh, writing is one of those solitary pursuits uh, that you do alone but then you share Um, it's one voice amongst many and there's so many many books out there that I want to read too so I feel the same way and there's so many books you're supposed to read too oh god um, yeah you know what, what, what people want you to read what you're what you're supposed to have read and i don't know yeah. i used to re- really try to you know try to knock out x amount of classics a year you know mm. um but it's all bullshit you know it's really about following what what you want to read and what you want to see as yourself as a writer like wh- who do you you know who do you fit in with who do you not fit in with what do you think will change you kind of do that's the way i approach books now
0: yeah i think that's okay. a good way to go about it for sure part of it is just the time investment and this is yep. the thing i know i've talked about too like it takes me so long to read a book whereas i can watch a movie by a director that i feel like i should watch and right. i force myself to sit down for two hours and even if i hate it it's only two hours or yep. You know, I say now that I'm far enough removed from it, it's like, what is this whole emo music thing about? And then I, you know, (laughs) I sit down and I listen to it for for an hour or two. And it's like, okay, I get it. Good. Yeah. Um, But writing is so much harder.
1: It is. And I'm all for a well rounded diet of books. You know, I think the whole telling what people, telling people what they should and shouldn't read is kind of a bummer. But then again, like, I mean, you can live. As many lives as books as you can read, you know, like that's part of it. So you wanna, you wanna just get out of your your own circle of books too. So I like I like reading stuff you normally wouldn't as well. But there's so many books, it's impossible, you know.
0: Yeah, it's just too many. People should stop writing, and so I can read all the rest of the books.
1: <laughs> yeah, we should be the only two writers left. But I I
0: agree, hundred percent. It'd be a lot easier to make money than that way too. <laughs> yeah. What are what are some of the things? What's your editing process like? How about that? I'm curious about that. I know you um, said you put it away, put a project away for a couple months.
1: Yeah, um, I usually give myself like at least two months of space in between first draft being finished and my first read through. Um, and in that in that time, I do other stuff. You know, I either do short fiction or another long project or whatever. But when I go back to my first read through, I try to read, I try to read the novel as quickly as possible in one sitting if i can but lately i've been writing longer like i've been getting up to like you know 79 85,000 words in that ballpark so one sitting is usually not possible but i try to read through the novel quickly uh just just going for story you know making sure the story makes sense if it if it attaches to me like if i'm even interested anymore um and then the second read through i start breaking down uh more along the lines of the mechanics of the sh- of the story whether or not it makes sense um, and really, kind of paying attention to spots where my attention waned. In um, the third read through, uh, that's when I'm starting to worry about, uh, like the line for line, whether or not you know, polishing each sentence, adding, deleting, whatever. And by the fourth read through, uh, it's it's like a polishing thing. And then I'm starting to gear up to like, you know, who who would even read this? Like, where
0: where should I send this? Kind of deal. Hmm. Do you have? This is another thing I've seen sort of like hotly debated. Um, Do you have like a list of publishers or do you read? um, I'm trying to structure the question correctly. Um, Publishers say, please be familiar with our work before submitting. How often do you think that is true for you? Or do you not want to self-incriminate?
1: I try to send... uh, to Like when I first started... um, the whole submission thing, it, it was totally the shotgun approach. I didn't know any of these people and I was just shotgunning query letters and manuscript attachments to anybody who was reading, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, But now I'm much more selective. Uh, it's more about like, who would you who would you want to associate with? Who would you like to work with kind of deal is the way I approach it now. Um, so I'm much more leery about sending a book to somebody I haven't worked with before or I don't know of like I'm not familiar with their work, but yeah, those those first first couple days, man, I was, you know, you get a novel finished, it's your first one, you're sitting out, I'm shotgunning it, sending it to everybody, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's I, not the approach these days.
0: Yeah, I like yeah. I like the uh, the being selective for you rather than for them mindset. Yeah, that's not something I've considered, and I I. I like that idea that like I don't want you know particularly this place to have my work or you know I, yeah. I really really enjoy these people and I, I I, want to work with them
1: and it's not so much a snooty thing I mean it might have come out as a snooty thing but it's more along the lines of like you know this is this is your baby you know this is your blood sweat and tears and do you really want to be represented next to these people with what you've done. You know, it's, it's kind of that thing. Um, And it's, it's a limiting thing for sure. But at the same time, it's kind of like, you don't want to get into a relationship that you can't be proud of.
0: I agree, especially in, in the world of indie publishing, where the amount of copies you might be selling isn't gonna be super high right so like who are the people that i want to reach with this piece yeah who are the type of people i want reading me and talking about me and and things like that so i get it i understand um this is a very specific and perhaps strange question but you have a tattoo on your right forearm of like a girl with a wolf head Um, who did that? Cause I think I might follow them on Instagram.
1: Robert Ryan from New York. Um, did it. Okay. He's a, he's an amazing tattoo artist and he travels a lot. So
0: he may be in your area tattooing sometime. Okay. What's your philosophy on tattoos? I don't have any, but the reason I got Instagram was to follow tattoo artists. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Uh, I used, I used to work at a tattoo shop, um, being the floor guy, the paperwork processor guy at my friend's tattoo shop in Bowling Green, Kentucky, called Carter's Tattoo. Um, I've always loved tattoos. I remember my mom was telling me when I was real little, I saw a biker. I can't remember how old I was. But he had long hair, this crazy beard covered in tattoos, and he got off a motorcycle. And I was like, Mom, that's me one day. You know, <laughs> <laughs> For one reason or another, that's been something I've been trying to, to be about. And I just, I've always loved tattoos. There's something... There's something beautiful about the dedication to reserving a part of you for one piece of art, you know, like that's going to be there. Absolutely. So my process of getting tattoos is all different. Like, um, people always ask me, you know, what's the story? What's the story? I'm like, well, they're all different. I've got, you know, a bunch, you know, I don't know how many per- in, in particular, but they're all different. You know, they all have reasons.
0: Yeah, I wish I could connect that to writing somehow in like a really meaningful way. I, I feel well, like yeah. that would tie it, to, tie it really well. <laughs> like, Yeah, that's I, well, like gotta, that's like writing a book.
1: Yeah. I got a tattoo of Kurt Vonnegut, so there you go. Oh, like, there we go. <laughs> yeah, it tied it back to writing that way.
0: Vonnegut's one of those guys I haven't read. I have one of his books. I bought it uh, when it was on sale one time, and I haven't gotten around to reading it yet. Yeah, um,
1: I, I love Vonnegut. Uh, read Cat's Cradle when you get a chance. It's okay. one of my favorite books
0: definitely what is your favorite book was, um, oh,
1: it, it changes every day sure <laughs> uh, I think today it it might be the the outlaw Bible of American poetry uh then reading that sucker and it's a it's a beast of a book but it's got everybody in there man uh from da levy to, to, to Patty Smith like this Amiri Baraka like everybody's in there it's just such a interesting anthology
0: hmm I'll have to check that one out as well. It's got good reviews. Um, yeah,
1: it's, it's real good. You can find used copies pretty cheap.
0: Mm-hmm. Are you more of a used book person or a, or a new book person?
1: Well, um, right now I'm a order online person because I moved to kind of rural Kentucky where there's not an indie bookstore. Um, I used to work at an indie bookstore up in uh, Perrysburg, Ohio, Uh, called gathering volumes and that's you know i would support brand new books from that place just because independent bookstores are you know like the holy grail for me yeah but used bookstores are nice too it's just i don't really have any in my area
0: right now Mm Mhm. yeah we live in a place that has like a couple and then it has there's a lot of thrift stores around here and it's always interesting to see what you find used at a thrift store in terms of books I found like a coffee table encyclopedia of science fiction writing from the seventies. Oh man. And I had color pictures and everything. So I bought it and I I went and looked it up and it has just awful reviews. And I'm so excited (laughs) to like dig into it someday. All the reviews were like, yeah, he took on this big task and did not have the manpower to do it. Bummer. Um, but I mean I bought it for the pictures because yeah, 70s sure. science fiction art is awesome.
1: Yeah. I yeah. We got I think there's like a Books a Million in Owensboro, which is the biggest city I live next to, and I just I mean I'll buy a book from there if I if I need to, but I would just rather not.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's the whole um wow, I haven't heard of Books a Million. Is that is that um It's headquarters like is in Alabama. Okay. So.
1: Yeah, it's you know it's kind of like a, it's like the Kmart version of Barnes and Noble is the way I kind of like to think of it.
0: Mm. Okay, yeah, I gotcha. I guess that probably hasn't made its way to the Midwest in any sort of deep penetrating way. I mean, Barnes and Noble out here just smothered everything out. Uh yeah. there's there's not a, like. The bookstores you go to, there's, there's a Schuler Books, which I think is just for Michigan. I think they just have, like, two locations anymore. Uh, they used to have three, and then, like, the strip mall that they were in raised their lease for one year by, like, 300% or something crazy. It was... Ouch. <laughs> it's like, we sell books. What are you doing? All right? We, we can't afford this. I mean, I, like... All the music, all the physical music I've ever bought, I think i bought at a bookstore too. So bu- yeah, bookstores, brick and mortar stores have like a really special place. I mean, this is,
1: I don't know if you ever get a chance to go to Columbus, Ohio, but I played a show at this really cool place uh, not too long ago called Cafe Kerouac. And it's um it's a bar slash bookstore slash venue you know ndp like an independent place it's just wonderful i wish more places like that would pop up
0: Mm, yeah that seems really cool i like that a lot i have this wild hair because in grand rapids michigan where i live there's a lot of storefronts that are cheap right now and working for other people sucks uh, so yep. so like I I have this this wild hair and dream like man if I could get like one or two investors I could open a place I always yep. I, I had the idea to open a donut bakery slash uh, poetry place and call it Slam Dunks, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah that's interesting coffee house and bar and records and books and yep. venue
1: yeah it's real cool it's a you know it's over near um Ohio State University so they've got that whole big university there was so the clientele was is pretty good but i mean if this places like that like when you stumble upon them you got to like spread the word because i think that's like the unicorn of of places that i want to be associated with you know mm-hmm. absolutely
0: so i have my older brother went to university of michigan and my little sister goes to michigan state so i don't think i can be within 50 miles of osu oh without so yeah. getting in trouble <laughs>
1: I'm from Kentucky, so it's yeah, kind of like care. Ohio State is just like, oh, man, no one, no one wants to talk about them. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> So, yeah, I get it, too. But, you know, it's a cool spot, and they're not really for, like, the chads of the place. You yeah. know, there's not really the pink polo crowd there, so I feel safe talking about
0: it. Yeah. it seem... I wonder if that's why they have this family tab on their website that is just photos of the place and people in it. <laughs> that's interesting i mean maybe not maybe it's just serendipitous that i saw that right when you were talking about it but it's interesting i kind of want to talk about shining of the light more i really like that book oh. <laughs> um really? you, you talked about um uh oh what was his name you mentioned it jason molina um mm-hmm. i think one of the songs by songs oh hi is on my 2019 playlist that i started yeah um the the story of of homer is pretty um it's at once fantastical and sort of predictable i guess um him as as a character he's got that enigmatic thing that i think is turned up to 11 more than any singer songwriter that i'm familiar with um i'm not right. a huge singer songwriter type of dude but um the the sort of people that he associates with that i think ultimately leads to his downfall is fairly predictable it kind of feels like a tom Waits song yeah, drawn out to book that form that um, yeah
1: um you know it's it's life in in the indie music scene kind of deal. Like, I've seen it. I know about it. Uh, there are certain things that are predictable, but at the same time, there's that level of unpredictableness when you're making art for a living, you know. You are going to associate with interesting and diverse people when you're making art. And, and the whole music thing, you know, it's it lends itself quite easily to the... To the enigmatic kind of thing that keeping yourself a little bit removed a little bit of mystery
0: i also i also have always sort of wanted to play the character of homer uh one of the things i think that really got me engaged with the book is how much as like a kid minus the the drinking and and xanax addiction like i wanted to be that guy that just like was quiet and focused and made things that like basically made up for the antisocial behaviors, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, it, he's a real relatable character for me. Um, and it, it probably comes out a lot in the book. Uh, you know, I would rather much rather be making something than, than just hanging out kind of deal. Uh, and, you know it's and it's fun to trace other lives you could have could have lived too. I think that's a big part of probably why we write you know we get to get to live in somebody else's head for a little bit
0: yeah to to chase those those paths that your rational mind knows. well, this might not lead to such a good place,
1: yeah. One of these days, I would like to sit down with some of my musician friends and actually make some of some of those songs happen that are in the book. I've, I've got a kind of a skeletal bone structure for some of them, but most of them are just lyrics. But it'd be real fun to chase it down and actually make some of these records.
0: I would, yeah. That's one of the things that r- whenever I read fictionalized music, people I always want someone to go and make that music. Yeah. Um, but I guess it's kind of frightening, too, since you, you, you know, the narrator sets up such a grandiose expectation of what I'm going to hear. Yeah. But I guess that's yeah. the fun of it, too.
1: It's kind of like the whole translation of books to movies. You know, everybody wants their favorite books to be a movie. But then when the movie comes out, inevitably,
0: it's a letdown, you know. Mm-hmm. When I was a small child, my dad used to read to... Uh, my brother and I before bedtime and he would read the fantasy novels that he read when he was in high school or whatever and so he would skip all the gory parts or whatever but he read this one series he read the Shannara series by Terry Brooks to us and I remember as a kid this was right around the time I was in elementary school and the Harry Potter movies just started happening and I had like read the Harry Potter books because I was alive and (laughs) I remember thinking, oh, man, I want the Shannara series to be a movie. Like, I want that so bad. I want to see this world. And then years later, like, MTV put out a TV show of that series. And I'm like, oh, I can't. Like, one of the main characters was a kid who was in Glee. And I am just like, oh, I can't watch this. Uh, There's no way.
1: Like, Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time. Did you ever read those?
0: I didn't. No, I never got around to those.
1: They're actually killer. Uh, But, you know, they I think... Have started and stopped filming like 8,000 times, but like it's kind of the same thing. Like, I want it to happen, but at the same time, like, you know, it's going to be a big old disaster.
0: Mm hmm. God. I, interestingly enough, I met a guy once. I worked at a nonprofit with this guy who met his wife on a Wheel of Time fan forum. <laughs> yes. So that is the connection there. Um, I also remember, uh, one of the things i really liked about shining the light is that uh he does a long string of concept albums that are all part of one story because my yep. my like second most favorite band ever in in the timeline of my life is coheed and cambria which yeah. i mean their whole shtick is it's a concept i remember being on on fan forums back in the day when there were like rumors of movies and that that feeling of like oh my god
1: that'd be so great i know the comic the comics happened right i never yeah
0: the comics are being printed now um and i think a movie will never happen at some point the rumors got so big that the band had to address it and calm everyone down because people were freaking out (laughs) and he's like yeah maybe once we get all the comics done and they're still making albums as part of the story so i don't think that that's ever going to happen but yeah they they have a comic run going on right now that looks interesting and i just haven't been able to find it in a a format that i like i don't i don't like the singular issues when it comes to comic books and the only like trade that they have is hardcover and i don't want a hardcover comic book either i'm i'm really weird about book formats like that there there's a couple fantasy book series that i that i get like the collector's edition where it's like three books in one big binding and then there's one in particular they stopped doing that and that's when i stopped reading the series because i like didn't want on my bookshelf the format of the books to change yeah um is that do you um do you have um, a space in, in your living area for books that you sort of arrange in a specific way? Or is it more haphazard?
1: Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, if my wife listens to this, she will be cracking up right now. <laughs> um, I used to have some real strong OCD tendencies. Okay. Um, like, my record collection right? was... At a time, it was alphabetized by record label and then by the bands, like you know. Mm. Uh, but the book, the books right now, um, she's allowed me to just do alphabetical because <laughs> she, she, for the longest time, she would just walk by and just take one or two books and just file them wrong on purpose just to watch me react <laughs> to it because I've got such like a, you know, I, they got to be right kind of thing. And then she slowly worked me out of this, that that whole super filing system but now they're just um now they're all genres all together but just by uh author title but yeah we've got a big old library it's real nice good i like to i like to say they're my friends like when we were moving uh my family was pissed because they had all these heavy box like what's in here like my friends <laughs> like, <laughs> all my books. Like, you know?
0: yeah i don't think i think when we moved out of our apartment into our first house where we're living now i didn't i don't think i even let anybody carry the books i think i put them all in my car like beforehand i was like all right it's time and and yeah like we have a bedroom that is the library and it's just books all around and we bought rocking chairs specifically for those rooms um yes I, i was trying at the apartment i was trying to like figure out how to organize the books i didn't want to do alphabetical and so i was like arranging them sort of by like narrative theme or okay. by by size um yeah I was, i've i've never been i don't particularly like the the aesthetic of sorting them by color that some people yeah. do i see I've that on youtube that, a lot yeah yeah um but the thing i've noticed now that i have them alphabetized by author is um the the weird connections that you make by having such a varied reading experience and and sharing it with a significant other where i'll have like the hobbit is next to something else that's like a young adult coming of age story that's next to (laughs) some sort of philosophy book but for some reason the spines of all three of them are green so when you look at the bookshelf they are all together and you make weird sort of Connections like it's it's a strange pastiche. It's like Pee Wee's Playhouse or something, where it's like I'm yeah. putting all of these strange things next to each other and calling them equal and seeing what happens.
1: Yeah, bookshelves are fun. That's it's the first thing I gravitate to in new places. Like if you know you're invited over to a dinner party or something, like the you'll always find me creeping on somebody's bookshelf and seeing what kind of associations I can make.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I had a friend whose older brother collected video games and he kept them all on bookshelves and like every time I was at their house all I I would do for the first like five minutes is just like look at their bookshelf and as we were sitting around talking hanging out or watching a movie whatever I'd always my head would always gravitate and just like stare at the bookshelf it's a strange thing the 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 bookshelf as like interesting to look at
1: yeah it's almost you know it's funny like I, I don't tend to get rid of books if i buy a book um even if i hated it like it's going on the shelf you know kind of thing so it's interesting to think about what people think of you based on what's on your shelf
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: because i've got some interesting books on there that you know i wouldn't like to say that's representative of who i am or what i read but i mean i definitely read it
0: <laughs> yeah the the atlas shrugged it's like ah, i had to read it <laughs> i had yeah, to know what i was hating
1: yeah, I had that on my shelf too and I hated that book, man, but I loved um The Fountainhead.
0: Okay. You know.
1: So it's kind of like it's on there. I got Anthem too and it was okay.
0: Okay. I haven't actually read any of that um my wife's dad is the is is a bigwig in the Michigan Libertarian Party. So he has like all of her works on his bookshelf. Yeah. Um and my brother started reading Atlas shrugged when he started college, and he's like, mm, "I didn't like that." <laughs> so, like, I think he yeah. even got rid of his copy. But, but similarly to you, I don't get rid of of books. The only books that we got rid of when we moved in together were books that we had multiple copies of because we both read had to read them in school. Yeah. So it's like, okay, who has the best looking copy of East of Eden, and we're gonna yeah get rid of the old one. Um, yeah my excuse for that is for my children my future children when we have kids you know i want them to have as many books available to them as possible so that they can value reading and have a wide experience without having to spend lots of money
1: yeah you got to keep them especially before trump starts burning them oh god yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i will give you the last word here uh, before we move on to you you reading your stuff like do you do you have any sort of calls to action at this time you would like to to put out there
1: oh calls to action hmm mm-hmm. read more you know um and read everything don't just read old white guys you know uh and if you're interested in stuff that i do i would uh i'd appreciate if you know you like poetry go to lost long on forgotten records wordpress.com listen to some of those or if you like small press books i'm also um one of the, the editors of uh, Cocklebur Press. Um, we've released Michelle McDonald's first book on our, our press called Point of Departure and we're getting ready to release Bob Phillips' um, Seasons Whirling Like a Clock soon. So that's a place for independent um, great voices in books. Uh, I've got a couple short story collections coming out and a new novel soon. Um, so if anybody's interested in that, you can always stay up to date with me at ASCoomer.com This first poem is the, is the title piece for the book. It's called Flirting with Disaster. Uh, it was originally published by my, my friend, Julia Cook. She has this excellent literary site called 13 Minor Birds. Uh, it was republished, um, in the song is, and it's going to be anthologized in this collection called This is Poetry for Poets of the South. Um, it's kind of a, it's a poem and song, almost, and I'll read it. It's called Flirting with Disaster. My mother lost everything she owned twice in house fires. She smokes like a goddamn chimney. Always has. I guess we all flirt with disaster in our own terms. I tend to spend too much time alone. I'm not good on my own. You see, I get these itchy fingers and bad ideas. I got this circling mind and backload upon backload of misplaced time. And it all makes me cringe. I guess. We all flirt with disaster in our own terms. I know people with fixations. Addictions come in many shapes and sizes. It's not all brown bottles and little plastic baggies. They tend to bumper car through life, shielded, however scantily, by ideology, belief, substance, or everyday wishful thinking. Leaving a little tread here, a little rubber bumper there, until they're skating, as the old proverb goes, on thin ice. I guess we all flirt with disaster in our own terms. And isn't this sounding like a song? Something loud, bluesy, abrasive, sweating right along with the cheap domestic light beer on top of the rattling busted amp? I'd make it one if I could play lead, but I've always been out here on the offbeat, in a jerk and sway rhythm section No one wants to listen to anyway Sing it, brother Yeah, alright Just not tonight, okay? The the next poem I want to read is Antumbra um, It's actually written uh, and dedicated to Homer Antumbra The protagonist of Shining the Light Let me flip to it here Antumbra for Homer what if when you go you have to sit through a powerpoint of your life? A year in review kind of thing. The lows, the highs if you were so lucky, but mostly just the in-betweens. Slide after slide of indecision, of stagnation, of little flickers of yourself with a finger in your nose, waiting, watching, snoring, passive. You'll start to wonder if the sun ever really did shine. Can you recall actually feeling the concussions of all those summer thunderstorms? What was it like to feel the spring grass between your barefooted toes? The bright December sky, cloudless and brilliant, becomes an abstraction. On March 22, 2012, the greatest friend I never met died. I didn't know him then. Well, not completely. See, I created him, curated from bits and pieces Spit, liquor, rusted-out guitar strings, little blue pills, bubblegum and duct tape. He was all fragments, really. Named him after light and shadows, an occluded body appearing shrouded in light. A less than ship image of the wanderer, the seeker, the seer. And what does any of that mean? Should it go ahead and come with a grain of salt? Will it be on the PowerPoint as a footnote? You really have to squint to even make out? And will any of this be on the final? Or is it just cumulative? God, I hope there's a curve. Um, the next poem I want to read is from my good friend Michael Grover, who um, at Press will also be putting out a book of poems by um, probably next year or later on this year. Um, he's a really great poet. But he's got a, uh, he's got cancer and he's fighting that right now. So I wrote him a poem. It's called the straightening of the path. Sometimes the songs come in backwards. The radio cinched into the old car battery got it wrong, maybe. The towers shooting out their noise ones and zeros or bits and pieces got crossed with some other invisibility, perhaps. I don't know. Little snatches of the way things are, then, how they're coming in, at odds with the way I breathe. The way the air formulates into crystals in my mind, shrouding my lungs in a cave of ice. Stalactites and stalagmites of purpose. The machinery in motion, but with a timetable strictly adhered to. My friend got some bad news, meaning I, too, got some bad news. The tunnel system is working against us, his especially. It's burrowing, it's twisting and turning through the nows and thens and winds is straightening. It's decided to take a more direct route. And this hurts. Sure, like hell it hurts, but, and maybe only just but, will the tunnel straighten enough for him to see, to really see. Not this haphazard thing we struggle to complete each day upside down and backwards, faulty at best. Maybe the straightening of the path will give him a glimpse of the light, if there is a light. Maybe there will be something there, not your imaginary reflection, a friend waiting with hand outstretched, an understanding, a peace, or maybe just the mind-clearing breath of unobstructed, terranian air. The sun, the actual light of being, unmitigated, and free. I hope he keeps his eyes open. Um, that was published by Blottercher back in Volume 3, Issue 1. It's a cool literary site y'all should check out. The last poem I'll read is um, it's called I'm Not Sure How I Feel About the Sound. It was originally published by The Song Is, and it won the Thelma Prize in 2016-2017, which was judged by uh, Catfish McDaris. I'm not sure how I feel about the sound. Can't no one love you better than I did? All these years, all those nights bright with fulfilled longing, captured desire and twisted sheets, to the teeth with a big, fat love, bursting at the seams, dripping with it, slicker than any backcountry road post-summer downpour, juicier than any peach you've tasted. Now it's just a picture of a picture of the thing. The train whistles blowing, blowing right by our house. What used to be our house. It used to make you snuggle closer. Something so lonesome in the cry, I guess. Well, I was just glad it was crying. Seemed like somebody somewhere had to be. That's what my grandmother always said. And the result? Now that you're gone, even the coffee pot don't look right. Sitting cockeyed on the counter beached by grains of staled, clumpy sugar and sticky spots where I spilled the milk. Baby, I don't even know why I bother to pay the electric bill. I keep all the lights off now, now that you're gone. Don't see the point in seeing the spaces where you ain't, cause, baby, you ain't. And I remember sitting in that back room down at the bar, swaying to the slide guitar and the gentle finger picking, putting them away with you. Baby, we could really put them away, couldn't we? And with an arm draped around your shoulders, I swore I would never write a song like that. I swore I would never write a song like this. The troubadour up there telling the story, his story, one you've heard a 100 times if you've heard it once. But hearing him, you knew it true all the same. And you couldn't help but move along. Just some unaware passenger picked up and carried off by the flash flood, the rising waters of it, of it all each of us dripping, swimming in our own way, because either you swim or you drown. And we laughed. Sure, we knew I'd never write a song like that, a song like this, because I wouldn't have to, because you would always be here, because we would always be together. Hear that? Train's coming on down the line, and for the first time in my life, I'm not sure how I feel about the sound. I'm not the only